welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Go in our Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Welcome. <clears throat> We're glad to have you today at Queen's Church um, to worship the Lord. Just to be clear, you might have seen it on the screen a time or two, um, but in case you came in late and you didn't hear at the beginning, we are here to worship Jesus. At Queen's Church, Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. So we believe that the best way for humans to exist is to exist in Christ. That is to be transformed by Jesus' power and then into live, to live out of that love toward their neighbors, their family, their friends, and even, yes, their enemies. And all of this announcement that we make week and week, week in and week out, we refer to as the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And today in Mark chapter 1, we get to hear, you guys have to hear me every week you come, but this week you get to hear Jesus for the first time in the gospel of Mark preach the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 is where we'll be. It's in the New Testament. Um, if you have a print Bible, it's going to be toward the back. If you're on your phone, you can go down to New Testament. Just a quick recap of the last three weeks in case you missed it or to refresh for those of you who did not miss it. In week one, we learned that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior that was prophesied by the great prophets. That John came to pave a straight way to Jesus. Last, uh, two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus is actually approved by the God the Father. So Jesus is divine in nature. He is holy and set apart. He is God. And he was approved by God the Father before he performed any signs or any wonders or any miracles. At his baptism, God the Father said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And we learned that Jesus accepts and saves us in the same way. A little bit more on that this week as well. And then finally, last week, we learned that Jesus was led into the spirit, sorry, into the wilderness by the spirit where he was tempted by Satan. And we understand that Jesus is the Lord over all. Jesus is the Lord even in times of wilderness. And before I read the scripture, I'll just be completely transparent with you. This week, I was facing a lot of temptation in the wilderness. Temptation to be anxious about things that I could not control. And I want to share that with you so that you, especially those of you who are new to the faith or new to church in general, don't think that because I have a microphone and I'm on the platform as the preacher, that I have things figured out and have some way mastered this Christian walk. Each and every one of us, regardless of how long we've been a believer in Christ, regardless of how in step we walk with the Holy Spirit, being guided by him, we'll go through wilderness times, we'll face temptation, and we'll have to trust in Jesus to persevere through the temptation. So you could be praying for me this next week that I would not be anxious about things that are outside of our control here at Queen's Church with the new space or um, with any of those other things. But I rejoice that the Lord is on the throne. Amen? And those, so I, I proclaimed at the beginning from Psalm 145, the verse that I read started talking about the kingdom of God. And if you notice, a few of the songs mentioned... God's authority, the fact that he is seated on the throne. 
And today, Jesus is going to speak a little bit about the kingdom of God as well. So let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 14. My mic died, Hyro, but this one seems to work good. You guys can hear me? Okay. Now, after Jesus was arrested, sorry, after John was arrested, Jesus won't be arrested for another three years or so. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the only scripture we're going to read because we're going to go line by line through that and try to understand exactly why Mark is leading us here and what Jesus is trying to say. But the first thing, if you want to take notes, you can write down some reminders for yourself to review later on because it's hard to receive this much content and then remember it all. You can type it in your phone or, or, or write it down in, even in the margins of your Bible. The first thing, though, that Jesus announces is that this good news is for everyone. The good news is for everyone. And anyone in here should rejoice because of that, because we are all included in everyone. Like I said at the beginning, though, also are your friends, your neighbors, your family, and even your enemies, your coworkers, your boss, even your boss, even those unjust around us, and the nicest of all, everyone can hear the good news. So the way that he the way that he teaches us this is about the location. You might just gloss right over, Jesus came into Galilee, but let's talk about that a little bit because that region is significant for its insignificance. Galilee is significant because it's insignificant. No person in that day and age who wanted to proclaim some message to transform the world should go to Galilee to do it. They should go to Rome, they should go to Jerusalem, they should go to Athens, not a small town in Galilee named Capernaum. But Jesus enters the small town of Capernaum to preach and to call out his followers to come with him. We're going to talk about that next week, actually in two weeks, we'll talk about that in two weeks. Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem or Rome, he does not go to some thriving metropolis with culture and wealth and education and politics, and a platform. He enters a small fishing village where majority Gentiles lived. He didn't even, he was going to go preach, right? His message, he teaches us later, comes first to the Jews, then to the Greeks. He didn't even go to where the highest concentration of Jews were. From a PR standpoint, you might be thinking, Jesus, uh, you may want to rethink your strategy here. <laughs> you need to go to where the people are if you want to get the message out. But that's not what he did. A small population of Jews, mostly Galilee, I mean, mostly Gentile fishing village, and he chooses his first disciples there. The gospel is for everyone. Now, uh, there's, there's some other little things we can learn here, too, and that's usually like Jesus' way is always the best way. That might be something we could say there. 
You know, I might think, I have the way. Jesus, you need to go to Jerusalem. Let's hook you up with the same person who uh, runs PR for the politicians, maybe for like Pontius Pilate or somebody like that. Let's find you somebody good, somebody who can get you Instagram followers without having to pay for them. Let's find someone who can get you a crowd, and let's put you in a stadium big enough so that this message can spread across the world. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's my strategy. I'm going to go over here to a poor, mostly Gentile, in other words, the people who ain't going to know what the heck I'm talking about, village of fishermen. Now, you might be thinking in 2023, you know, most people tend to get a pretty good education these days. K through 12, even if you don't go to college, you got a pretty good head on your shoulders if you can graduate high school, right? And then a lot of people, I mean, college is very accessible. We have higher learning, even further education. So we might be thinking, all right, these fishermen, you know, at least they know what's up. They know math. They know arithmetic. They know a little bit of, uh, a little bit of philosophy, sociology maybe. They, they studied at least through high school, but that's not how it was. In those days, these fishermen, right at the time of adolescence, would have been thrust into an apprenticeship. So these young men, from the time that they could do heavy lifting, were fishermen. They didn't go to school. Most of their parents, you know what they did? They were fishermen. Most of their grandparents were, you guessed it, fishermen. There wasn't a lot of education to pass down from fisherman to fisherman, except the education about how to go and catch fish. They knew how to do that. So Jesus didn't even go to the well-taught. He went to the poor, uneducated fishing village where not very many Jews lived in order to bring the message of hope and salvation to the world, in order to establish and announce his kingdom. And that should tell us something about the character of Jesus. It should also help us in our Christian walk um, to recognize who it is that we go to with this message that we have. But we'll talk about that in just a minute. The good news is for everyone. The second thing is this. And this, is, this might come across as kind of a, well, duh moment. But think about it a little deeper. This is God's gospel. This is God's gospel. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the, quote, gospel of God. John was a trailblazer for Jesus, and he paved the highway. Jesus walks out onto that highway, and he says, the Son of God, the chosen one through whom everything was made, for whom everything exists, he says, I've got good news to share with you that my Father has given to me. This is my Father's good news. Let me be the one to share it. This is his gospel. Now, this is specifically important if you were one of those Jews in Capernaum when he began to announce this gospel. Because they knew who God was. They knew Yahweh. And they revered him as holy so much so that they wouldn't even have said his name like I just did right then. Because they didn't want to pronounce conviction on themselves or condemnation on themselves by using it in vain. They knew who God was. And Jesus says, I've got his good news to give to you. He's claiming 
the authority of God the Father. In, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more about specifically what that authority gives, grants to Jesus, and what that does for his hearers. But right now, just recognize that this gospel, this good news that Jesus is proclaiming comes from God the Father. With this one phrase here, Mark is connecting the message of Jesus to God the Father, the creator of the world. He's saying Jesus is not a rogue prophet. Jesus is not just a prophet. If, if, you, study or if you study Islam or you have any Muslim friends, you may know that they believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus was a prophet. They do not believe that Jesus is God. But they believe that he was a prophet of God. But that is not what Jesus is proclaiming here. Jesus is not claiming to be a prophet of God. Jesus is claiming to be, and Mark, remember from the last few weeks, each and every week, Mark has proclaimed to be God. God the Father has said he is God. The Holy Spirit has rested on him to be God. And John proclaims that he is God. Jesus is not saying, I'm just a prophet. Mark is connecting the gospel of God directly to Jesus. Jesus has authority to share this news as divine. God is the source of the gospel. Jesus is the way to the gospel. And repentance and belief are the requirements to enter this kingdom. I'll say that again a few times throughout this sermon. So if you missed it, you'll get it in a minute. This is God's gospel. And Jesus claims authority and ownership of this news to be the one who brings it to the people. The next thing, though, is that the wait is over. Say, finally. The wait is over. Hope to the hopeless. Freedom to the captive. Peace to the anxious. Salvation to all who are lost in their sin. The kingdom of God is the news that Israel has been waiting for. Messiah is here. God has heard your prayers and he has sent his son to answer them by declaring victory over Satan and taking reign in his kingdom. This phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Your uh, translation in English from the original words in Greek might actually say is near. The kingdom of God is near. It is at hand. That means this, the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God has arrived. And Jesus is saying here that this is God's great answer to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is the antithesis to all of the death that our sin caused to fall on us and on this earth. Listen to it like this. Where sin brings enmity and strife, the kingdom reigns with peace and rest. Where sin caused a chasm, a great divide, a canyon, where sin caused a chasm between God and man, too wide for any man or woman to bridge, the kingdom makes a way for us to commune with God once more through Jesus. Where sin condemns us to a life on this earth wrought with worry and anxiety and things about things that we cannot control, 
The kingdom ushers in faith in the providence of God. The promise that he is working all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Where sin brought death, the kingdom brings life. Abundant life. How is your life? Be honest. We say this often at Queen's Church. If it's your first time, welcome to the party. But this is not a place where you should come and put on some fancy show and sit in the pew and pretend like you heard a beautiful message and then leave having guarded everything that is near and dear to you or having guarded everything that you're ashamed of. It's a place where we should come and be honest. The body of Christ is one where we share our burdens with one another, where we can openly confess our sins with faith that we will not be shamed or condemned because of them, but that we will be forgiven by God and accepted by the church family. So if we're honest this morning with ourselves, how is your life? Would you describe your current situation deep in your soul, your desires, your fears, your doubts, would you describe your life as abundant today? If the answer to that question is no, then I invite you into Jesus. Now, maybe you say, well, pastor, I already did that. I accepted Jesus. I've been baptized. I've been going to church for a while. I'm a disciple of Christ. I follow him. I'm just in a season of, of, of wilderness like you talked about. Listen, do not believe the lie that in a season of wilderness or desert in your life, that your abundant life has somehow left you for a while and is going to come back. That is not the case. Remember, who drove the Holy Spirit? Uh, sorry, I just, get, I just gave you the answer. Man, I should not be a professor. I would just be like giving away the answer to tests the whole time. Who drove Jesus into the wilderness and remained with him there the whole time? Who was it? The Holy Spirit. That's what, You would have gotten that anyway, right? You would have known. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you to the wilderness and go, all right, I know, I said I'm, uh, I know Jesus told you that I'm going to come and rest on you and you're going to have abundant life during this time on earth. It starts now. It continues forever in heaven. I know you know that, but like right now, just take it, take it, take it by yourself for a moment. I'm going to leave you. See, how you. see how you fare. See if you can handle the cold by yourself. That is a lie from Satan himself. Satan will tell you that lie to try to get you to rely on your own strength in the time of wilderness. But church, the wait is over. You are filled with abundant life in Jesus Christ, and that abundant life in Jesus Christ is most certainly with you in the wilderness. Those songs, especially the second, I think the last or the second to last song that we sang, um, about the way that restoration has come and we pray for miracles over your life and we trust in the will of God that in Jesus' name all things can be made new in him. We say those things because we believe them, not because we want to believe them. Those things are true because the scripture teaches us that they are true. The wait is over. The wait is over. The kingdom, this kingdom Jesus is talking about, is a spiritual one. And it reigns in the hearts of all who repent and believe. 
If the kingdom is reigning in your heart, it does not matter where your heart goes geographically. The kingdom is still reigning in your heart through the power of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is in your heart. In the midst of divorce, the kingdom is there. In the midst of abuse, the kingdom is there. In the midst of financial hardship, the kingdom is there. In the midst of plenty and blessing, the kingdom is there. In the midst of a, an unjust work environment, the kingdom is there. In the midst of poverty, the kingdom is there. In the midst of, uh, of great wealth and riches, the kingdom is there. Some of you are like, I want the kingdom there right now. I know. <laughs> the kingdom is a spiritual one that reigns in the hearts of all who have trusted in Jesus. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. It doesn't matter where the hands go. The kingdom is with you. The kingdom reigns because Jesus is with you. Is actually a more theologically correct statement. The kingdom reigns because Jesus is with you. The wait is over. Here's that statement again if you wanted it. God is the source of the good news. Um, one time when I was in Colorado, I've told this story before, but years ago, not many of you were a part of Queen's Church at that time. Um, the Rio Grande River. You guys familiar with that river? It divides uh, much of the southern, southwestern Mexican border from the United States. But it starts in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, over 1,000 miles away from where it is the Rio Grande that you think of. And one time, my son corrected me, the Rio Grande, sorry, the Rio Grande. Um, it starts in Colorado, and one time I was driving in Colorado, and I saw a sign, I was with a buddy of mine, that said, headwaters of the Rio Grande, next exit. We were like, we got to take this. So we take the exit, follow the signs, get out of the car at the little, you know, historical site, parking or whatever, and we walk over. And you know what we found, Right? A mighty rushing river. No. You ever been to the headwaters of a, of a river that begins in the mountains? It was a spring. It was seriously like a hole like that in the side of a mountain, and there was just water trickling out. And it quickly became a creek. You could walk beside the creek. A couple feet wide, we were like jumping over on each side. So th that's a source there's a, there's a water source inside the mountain. It actually comes from melted snow, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can get into there, but there, the source is inside the mountain of that water, and it comes out. That's what we mean when we say God is the source of the gospel. God is that water inside the mountain that comes out. He's the source. His good news comes out. Jesus is the way... That we find adoption into this kingdom. God is the source. Jesus is the way. God is the source. Jesus is the way. Repentance and belief are the requirements to enter. Did you make that up, Pastor? No, I did not. Listen, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So we've handled... Uh, Jesus coming into Galilee, he's proclaiming this gospel, it's God's. We've talked about the time being fulfilled and the kingdom of God. And the final statement Jesus says in his first recorded sermon in the gospel of Mark is, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in this good news. So the last, the last point is something that we as Christians, especially 
Western Christians, we struggle to do. So I want to just encourage us to do this. You ready? This is the last point. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. One danger among followers of Jesus is the propensity to try to overcomplicate the message. Now, for centuries, theologians and parishioners alike have yielded to what I believe would be the temptation, yielded to the temptation to add or take away from the message that Jesus preached really clearly and simply here in Mark chapter 1. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, upon announcing his kingdom, remember, Jesus' way is the right way. He didn't hire a PR firm. He didn't go to an advertising agency. He didn't go to the right city that we would have or use the right medium of communication. He did it his way. So let's not overcomplicate it by trying to put in all of our ways. This is the way simply Jesus made clear. He said, repent and believe. And we, as a, as a church, as a new church plant also specifically, must caution ourselves not to make this invitation more exclusive than Jesus did himself. Not to make this invitation more ex, uh, less accessible than Jesus did himself. The church can have a message of preaching this, uh, have a habit of preaching this simple message, but following it up by acting as though there's more needed. Like repent and believe in the gospel. But like, but like also, you know, you need to kind of like clean up yourself a little bit before you come or you need to take this class before you can really get, you know, catechized into the real church. Or like, you know, you need to be really a part of a local church and we need you to wear this or dress like that. That is a danger. And I know that because many of you have told me that one of the things you love about Queen's Church is that it feels accessible. It feels like home. Even some of you who grew up your whole lives never having attended church for fear that you wouldn't be accept here, accepted here have come and said, man, it just it feels like there's something different that I could, you know, I can dress like I, I want. Uh, people aren't shaming me for my past sins. And that is good, but that is not something we should think, that's not something we should take for granted. We have to caution ourselves against becoming a people who add or take away things from this simple and clear message. The church's role in a person's entrance into the kingdom is to welcome them by baptism and to walk with them lovingly as they learn the way of Jesus. And this is a process of maturing, and we must treat it as such. Too often, we can become quick to demand, like, Christian behavior, whatever that means, or holiness, or some sort of cleaning up a little bit before you can present yourself in order to fully accept others into the new community. But we need to be a patient family. Don't overthink this. Jesus said, repent and believe. And you can find him. Just saying, hey, you, come follow me. They leave their nets, and uh, this is a little bit of a teaser for next couple weeks. They just leave their nets, and they follow him. He didn't say, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. Um, what's your sexual orientation? Uh, could you give an offering? I just need to make sure you're really committed. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold uh, on. If you come like that, I don't know if, if people are going to still follow me, so could you just... Go home real quick, switch it up, and then we'll go out. That is nowhere in the text. Do you know why it's not in the text? Because it did not happen. 
Don't overthink it. The one who establishes the kingdom in our hearts is the one who dictates the requirements of it, just so we're clear. That's not me. That's not my job. That's not the leaders at Queen's Church's job. That's not your job. Our job is to announce the good news and to welcome those who receive the good news. And then, and then to walk with them lovingly and patiently. Queen's Church should be a place where a sinner like me and like you can say, I want to follow Jesus. And we say, come, repent and believe. And they say, I repent, I believe. We say, look, be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Join with us and let's talk about these next words Jesus said in the Great Commission, which that was just following the Great Commission, if you're looking for what I just said in Scripture, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And then the last thing is, let's just let's walk together as we learn to obey the teachings of Jesus. You are saved. You are free. You are forgiven. You are welcomed. Now let's walk together as we learn to obey. That's the type of accountability That's the type of church that we're looking to plant here. And I believe has been planted in the hearts of many of you who are here. Saying maybe even in yourself right now, I'm glad they didn't require any of those things that Pastor was talking about in that hypothetical situation of me because Lord knows I didn't live up to those. And I would say to you, neither do I. You see, if we start to add and stack on stipulations that things, things that people have to live up to in order to be a part of the church, then we're adding requirements to the gospel that Jesus did not add himself, and we become something that is talked a lot about in the Bible. You know, you know what group that was? The Pharisees. It's exactly right. Jesus called them a brood of vipers, and he called them whitewashed tombs. Two things, this isn't even in the, in the notes, this is free today, but two things that means right there. A brood of vipers means that those people who may seem innocent and, and may seem like they're trying to, we just really want to make sure your salvation is legit, you know, those, those type of people. Jesus says that, that type of action is a brood of vipers. So it's not, it's not defensive, it's offensive. And it's offensive to the people who are coming to receive the gospel. Jesus says, you are striking at my children when you act like that. And then the whitewashed tombs says, when you do that, you are exposing yourself. You're dead on the inside, and you put yourself together to look nice on the outside. That's why we have to be honest and humble when we come into the house of the Lord. So that we continue to be filled with life on the inside. And messy and all, all screwed up on the outside. It's totally fine. Jesus don't mind about that. That's us that minds. We're the ones that care about the outward appearance usually. David knew that God sought after what was in the heart. And as followers of Jesus, we can learn by obedience to be people who do not fixate on others' outward appearances but look at their heart and love them for who God created them to be and walk with them in humility. That's enough. God is the source. Jesus is the way. 
And repentance and belief are the requirements to enter. In our efforts sometimes to add or take away from what Jesus has commanded and what Jesus has established as the requirements, we can have as our goal building of the kingdom. However, the kingdom that we will build is not God's kingdom. You know at the Tower of Babel what happened? If you ever read it, it's in Genesis chapter 11 maybe, or 11 or 12. I think 11. The, the Tower of Babel is the story where this group of sinners decides that they would try to make a name for themselves. And they began building a tower to try to reach God. And God humbled them, scattered them, divided the nations. And you can go read about how that goes for them. But the important thing is, they did succeed in one thing. They made a name for themselves. But have you ever seen anything with the label Babel that's good? I do not encourage you to go watch the movie. Babel is usually associated with debauchery. Babylon, for crying out loud, is the city of man. It's the city that's put in antithesis to Jerusalem, the city of God, Zion, the final days. Babylon will finally be destroyed fully, and Jerusalem will be elevated to Zion. Babel made a name for themselves, but it wasn't the name that God had given them. They invented their own name, and to this day, they live with the consequences. They being we, actually, because of our sin, we kind of get lumped into that. But when we choose not to overthink it, and we say, hey, you know how, you've, you, know how you get to Jesus? You repent and believe. Then we build a kingdom as well. We don't build our own kingdom. We build the kingdom of God. And remember those things that reign where the kingdom of God is? Peace and rest. The kingdom makes a way for us to commune with God. The kingdom ushers in faith in the providence of God. That's what I was struggling with. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, that's where I was struggling most this week, trusting in the providence of God. But the kingdom of God, when it's reigning in our hearts, helps us have faith in that. And the, king, the kingdom is what brings abundant life. So as Johnny comes and we wrap this up, I want to invite you to a time of response. So having heard this gospel proclaimed, repent and believe, the first question I want to ask is, have you repented and do you believe? If the answer is yes, don't overthink it. You don't have to be saved again. You don't need to get baptized again. You're like, but I'm in a wilderness time. Have you repented and do you believe? If the answer is yes, then receive the abundant life that Jesus has. So if that's you, Christian, in the desert or in the wilderness, if that's you, Christian, who has repented and believed but has walked away from your faith, practically speaking, so your orthodoxy is good, that's your thinking, but your orthopraxy, that's what you do, is actually impoverished, 
it's selfish or it's sinful, if that's you, I invite you to open your hands and receive the abundant life that the Holy Spirit has for you. He has not left you in the wilderness alone. You are not alone. We said that a few weeks ago. I am not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. During this time of response, if that's you, I want to invite you to just to bow your head. Stay seated when we sing and cry out to the Lord. If you'd like me or someone on our team to pray with you, come. We would be happy to pray over you and to pray with you that the Lord, like that song we sang earlier, would change your circumstances and would change your perspective. But the second way that we can respond tonight, today, this morning, this afternoon, is if you have never repented or believed in Jesus, then you don't even have to listen to me today. Just listen to what Jesus said. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance, as we talked about just a few weeks ago, if that, that language is foreign to you, repentance means to turn and leave what was old behind. It is a concerted effort of the soul. It's not just a, it's not just a change of mind or a change of thought. It is a holistic change of soul. I am wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, leaving that behind, and I am coming to Jesus repentance, leaving behind sin and all of the death and decay that it has caused in your life, leaving that behind, confessing it to Jesus, and then believing that Jesus is the only one who can save you for your sin. If you've never followed Jesus today, I want to invite you to come and speak to me right here. After the, As soon as this song starts, stand up and come and say, I'm ready to repent and believe. I'd be happy to show you from Scripture or to pray with you right there so that you can leave behind your old self and follow Jesus. We would like as a church family to celebrate that with you. The Bible says that when one sinner turns to Jesus, the angels are rejoicing in heaven. The angels throw a party when people turn from death to life because they know that that's an eternal decision. That Satan lost another one and the Lord won another one. You'll be welcomed into this family regardless of how you look on the outside right now regardless of how much sin you were in last night or this morning. You'll be welcomed by this church. So let's stand together as the worship team comes. Let's sing this final song. Let this final song be our worship to the Lord. And let it motivate us to respond to Jesus as he calls us out of our death and into the life that he has given us in Jesus.